0: Well, a few uh, summers ago, uh, I took my two daughters uh, to a swimming pool here in town, and there were tons of people that were swimming. They were going down the slide, jumping in off the side. Everyone was filled with a festive kind of environment and uh, having just a blast. And um, my two youngest daughters, who are uh, 10 and 12 now, but at that time were uh, 6 and 8, Uh, We're playing in the shallow end because they really couldn't do a lot of the deep end stuff. And we were throwing a ball uh, back and forth to each other, just having a blast uh, together. And uh, while all this was going on, I looked out to the corner of my eye and there was a person who was struggling in the water. And it was a little young boy. And uh, in fact, finally, uh, he like went down, went under. And the reality was, though, that I didn't move and no one else moved. Uh, Eventually, a lifeguard jumps into the water, pulls him up, takes him over to the edge, puts him on his back, he coughs up some water, he starts crying, and uh, he was fine. But when I looked around, I noticed that I wasn't the only one who was not kind of jumping in to try to help. That there were tons of people that were on the deck and on the sides. And even this little guy's parents. Everyone just stood there. And social psychologists uh, have a phenomenon that they uh, refer this to. And it's called bystander apathy. It's where individuals do not offer any means of help to a victim when other people are present. And the ironic thing for me Was that as this kind of thing happens, the bigger the crowd, the less it is that someone will ever jump in to be able to help. Well, the lifeguard helps this little guy. Uh, My two girls and I, we went over to see how they were and he was fine and the parents were good. But we get in the car and we start driving home. And I started thinking to myself, why didn't I jump into the water to help this little guy? Why didn't anyone, anyone that was on the deck, anyone who was in the pool, why didn't anyone except the lifeguard take the risk to actually jump in to try to help him? I mean, we all realize that that was the right thing to do, and yet nobody moved. He was drowning But nobody took a risk to help him. I want to ask you this morning, how many times have you been in the shallow end or up on the deck of the pool when someone is drowning in life and you choose not to help them? Maybe they're drowning with their finances. Maybe they're drowning in an addiction. Maybe they're drowning in... In their marriage. Maybe they're drowning in grief. Maybe they're drowning in their faith. Maybe they're drowning in some type of struggle that they're going through. How many of you have ever chosen not to jump into that person's life, but rather you chose to stay in the shallow end, to stay up on the deck? You know, it's so ironic that sometimes this happens to us as human beings, but the reality is that was not Jesus's purpose at all. Jesus said this about his purpose in life. Jesus said, let's all say this out loud together. I came to seek and to save the lost. He said, my purpose of coming from heaven to earth was to seek and to save That which was lost. This was Jesus' sole purpose to find people who might be drowning in life and to reach down and to rescue them. Folks, Jesus' whole um, kind of commitment, his whole vision, his whole purpose was to reach out and rescue those who were lost and then to teach others to rescue people as well. And so it kind of leads to our big idea this morning. And this is your first fill-in that you can put in your program. Or if you want to go to our JAR app, you can type it in. That rescued people rescue people. That rescued people rescue people. Today, what I want to talk about is the invitational life. I think every single one of us who would say, hey, I'm a follower of Christ, if you're not Uh, You don't have to worry about it. But if you're a follower of Christ, that you have a commitment to say that I've been rescued to be able to rescue other people, to help God in that. The question is, though, to each one of you this. Will you stay in the shallow end and sit on the deck, or will you dive in and reach out to those who are drowning? What will your choice be? After Jesus started his public ministry as a rabbi, as a Jewish religious teacher, what he would do is go from city to city, and he would share his message. And each time that he would go into a city, there would be a group of prominent religious leaders who wanted to ask him questions about what his theology was all about. And one of the questions that a visiting rabbi would often be asked is this question, And it's, tell us your interpretation of Isaiah 25.6. No matter who you were, people wanted to know this. This would be like John 3.16 of our day. It was a passage that everyone knew and they wanted to know about it. And it was a simple passage about a banquet. Well, one day, Jesus is with these prominent religious leaders and they are at this great, big, fancy banquet where there's amazing food and where there is great wine. And in the midst of that, in Luke 14, 15, as they asked him this question, this is what he says. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, this is the setup. He's wanting to know, What Jesus's take is going to be on Isaiah 25, 6, the story about a great banquet. Now, real quick, uh, time out here just for a second. How many of you have ever been to like a huge kind of banquet before? Okay, like maybe a banquet. Sure, just raise your hand for your for a wedding, uh, for uh, maybe your work. Uh, maybe for something in the community, but, you know, I had amazing food. It had great wine. uh, It was that kind of thing. Well, uh, early on uh, in our marriage, uh, my wife, Jennifer, if some of you don't know, is a physician. And for the first four years of our marriage, she went to medical school. And when she got to the end of her fourth year, uh, she started interviewing at different residencies. A residency is one in which they train doctors. And so uh, she went to these different interviews as a candidate, and uh, the directors of the residency would interview you, and then they would rank, they would get a rank list of who it was they wanted to come. And so it's kind of like the candidates rank, they rank, and then eventually uh, you get a position of where you're going to go. Now, as a part of this whole process, after the interview, they have uh, these parties called second look parties. And basically, it's exactly what it says. It's a second look for uh, not only the candidates, but for the directors of the residency as well. So most of these, in fact, all of them except one, were just very low-key kind of parties. Uh, One was at a bowling alley. Another one was at this gigantic kind of arcade. Uh, Sometimes they just had get-togethers, but it was real low-key. However, there was one that when they had the second-look party, uh, as I said last week, it wasn't a party. It was a pa okay? And when we got there, I uh, drove up in my junky 1980 Buick Skylark, and a guy comes out, and he takes my keys, uh, and I said, don't mess it up, you know? No, I didn't really set up. Um, but he takes my keys and he, he parks the car. And then we walk up to this house. It was the house of the director of the residency. And it was bigger than the church that I was pastoring at. And when you walked inside, there was a piano player playing. And there was this spiral staircase that went up to the next level. And as we walked in, I was just overwhelmed to the max. Now, what you need to realize, too, is that I was 27 years old And I really wasn't very good at the whole etiquette thing. So I wasn't really sure how to handle kind of this fine dining. And when uh, people started walking around, they had these little trays. And I'd never seen this before. And they would walk around with these trays and they would say, would you like anything? And, uh, you know, that wasn't anything I'd ever experienced. So uh, I had a plate. They had these plates. I took a plate And then they would walk around. They'd say, would you like anything? I said, yes. And they said, okay. And I didn't know if they were supposed to put it on my plate or I was supposed to take it from their plate. So I just started taking it. And what I thought was there was only one course that you just like got what you wanted because that's all you were going to eat. So I just started piling it on. And then the next person would go by and they'd say, hey, would you like something? I'd like, oh, yeah, I'll take a little bit more. And so I keep piling it on, piling it on. And this plate just gets like more full and more full. And it's like keeping over like this. And all these people are walking by and I'm just putting more and more stuff on this plate. Well, Jennifer was in the other room and she finally walked in and she noticed me. And she said, put it back. So the next time the guy came with the tray, I took the stuff off and I started putting it back on their tray. And, uh, you know, I was trying to find like, hey, I'm sorry. And I think I took too much and I'm doing all of this. And Jennifer all of a sudden starts noticing that everyone else in the place is noticing me. And she's like this. Stop. Stop. Abort. Abort. OK. And so we stopped. Uh, we, we did that. And well, she didn't go to that residency. Let's just put it that way. So I want you to imagine that Jesus is like at one of these huge, gigantic parties, this parte, And there's all of this food and all of this wine and everything's amazing. And everyone is enjoying this incredible feast. And finally, Jesus says, you know what? I want to tell you about a feast, about a banquet that every single human being would want to go to. And in the next verse, this is what he says. A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. Now, this is the way that invitations worked uh, in the Middle East during this time. Uh, Transportation was difficult. Most things were always done by walking. Some people had animals. But what you would do is you would send out an invitation to people three months in advance to let them know because it took time to be able to do this. And so it was kind of this save the date kind of thing. And so this guy, he sends out this save the date kind of invitation and all of the people are like, oh yeah, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. Just let me know. I'm ready. I'm so excited. And uh, just let us know when the invitation comes. Now, when you send this invitation, you didn't send it to everybody. You just sent it to the people that were closest to you. That is uh, this kind of graphic that I'm going to give you. You send it to the insider. This would be your family. This would be your friends. These would be your closest people that you were connected with. And you would say, hey, save the date. But look what happens in verse 17. This is what it says. At this time uh, of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. So now he sends the servant a second time and says, guys, It's now, oh, yeah, yeah, I have it. We're all ready. We're ready to go. Uh, We're going to be enjoying this. We're dressed. We're on it. Uh, But look what happens. It says, but they all alike began to make what they make. Excuses. The first one said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another one said, I just got married, so I can't come. So here is the servant. And he's like, hey, it's ready. you got to save the date. Today's the date. We want you to come and be a part of that. And all of these people who said yes, who RSVP'd, and they said, yes, we're going to be there, each one of them come up with an excuse one says, you know what, I've got to try out this pair of oxen. Another one said, well, hey, I've got to take care of my land. Another one said, hey, I've, got, I've just gotten married. I can't come. And in this culture, to tell someone that you weren't going was a huge faux pas. It would, it would be like not showing up for an interview in our culture. It's one of those things that you would never do in the Middle East. And basically what they're doing is they're shaming this person. They're humiliating him. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever put on a party before and invited your closest people to you, friends and family? Have you ever done that before and someone didn't show up? Just raise your hand. Okay, Uh, sure. Several hands here up in the balcony too. You go through all the effort, you get all the food, you let them know in advance, you say, save the date, and then they don't show up. How's that make you feel? You're hurt. You're angered. Think about church. How many times have you gone to someone and you've invited them to church and then they said, well, you know, the cults are playing today. Or they said, you know what, Um, this isn't a good week. Or, you know what, I sleep in on Sundays. That's the only time that I do it. And maybe what's even worse, you invite someone and they finally tell you, yes, uh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to come. And then as you're here waiting for them or you're in the car on the way here, you get this text. Oh, hey, something came up. I can't come. It's frustrating. Each week our staff sits around the table and we try to work at trying to do things to honor God and to honor the church and to make different changes. And one of the questions that we have every single week as a part of our staff meeting is we go around and we say, well, the people that you invited last week, did any of them come? And then we also say, who are you going to invite this week? And each person will come up with a name or two or maybe three That they will share what has happened. Now most of the time. I want you to know. That your pastor. And the staff. That are a part of this church. You know what they share? Invitational fails. Not. Invitational successes. Most of the time. We hear stories where. You know what I invited. And this is what I got. I'll never forget one of our staff members said, hey, I went to go invite my neighbor. I walked up the steps. The door was open, so I was so excited. And as I got to the top of the step, I got ready to walk in, and the door slammed. That was an invitational fail. I think of another staff member who said, you know what, my teacher, I send her emails all the time. She always responds of her children, uh, the teacher for her children. I always, she always responds. And I invited them to church and she has never responded. Or I think about somebody who said, you know what, I called up one of the parents of uh, the kids who plays sports with my child. And as I said, hey, how's it going? They're like, great. And then when I said, hey, would you be willing to go to church? They hung up on me. And that was an invitational fail. Now, you might say, well, Chris, would you quit doing that? Because you're just discouraging all of these people. And the reality is, though, every time that we go around and we have one of those, we don't go, you better do better next time. Like you better do better. We go around and when we hear the fails, we're like, awesome, way to go. You know, well, we encourage them. We want them to know this is great that you're taking the risk you're stepping out you're doing something because we honestly believe folks that myself and the staff that every one of us around that table were rescued by god because of the messed up lives we lived so that we can help to be a part of rescuing other people we do it because we want to be the kind of church that even when we're rejected Even when there are excuses made, nothing will prevent us from reaching out and showing people that they are loved by God. We always want to be the type of people who are inviting others to come to the banquet. Come to the banquet. Come to the banquet. banquet. Now look at what happens in verse 21. It says this. The servant came back and reported this news to his master. Remember what the news was? Excuse, excuse, excuse. They're not coming. So then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Uh, I would like to call this second group of people that he's referring to called the outcast. So there's the insiders that he invited, those family members, friends that they knew really well. And now he reaches out beyond that to the outcast. These were people who were on the fringe. Many times they were not accepted in society. They would have an ailment or some kind of sickness or some kind of disease. They might have leprosy, and they were removed to the far outskirts. They were Jewish, but they had not been a part of society. Now, what's so beautiful about this is that the master could have responded in different ways. He could have got angry and like went to their house and started going off. He could have got mad and started cursing. I mean, he was betrayed. He was rejected. He was disappointed. He had all of these yes RSVPs, and now he got all of these no's. But instead, he channeled his anger in a unique way. And what did he do? He said, I'm going to just extend more grace. I'm going to give more grace. I'm going to go outside of just the insiders, and I'm going to invite the outcasts. Whoever they are, I'm going to invite them to come. And this parable, this story is such a beautiful example of who Jesus and the gospel is. Because even when Jesus experienced denial, and betrayal, and doubt, and being beaten, and rejected, and disappointed, he still said, I'm going to invite more. He, he channeled everything that he had, not to just sit in, sit on the deck, or to stay in the shallow end, but to invite more. Folks, when you're rejected, how do you channel your anger? When someone rejects you, when they ignore you, how do you channel it? Do you give more grace? Do you give more invitations? Do you give more opportunity? Or do you say, I trailed, I I tried, I failed, they rejected me, I'm done? It's not my responsibility, anyways. It's that pastor boy up there that doesn't know etiquette. It's his responsibility. He's the one that's supposed to invite people, or it's the staff. But I tried, and I got rejected. Folks, again, Jesus would say, and the Bible would say to anyone who says that they're a follower of Christ, our big idea this morning, and it's this, that rescued people rescue people. That people who have been rescued have a strong desire then to rescue other people. Well, the story goes on in verse 22, and it says this. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is, what's the last two words? There's still room. Think about that. The servant goes and he sees the insiders rejected him, but now he's invited all of these outcasts, but he still sees some seats. He still sees some empty tables, he still sees some places that are not quite full. And he goes back to his master and he says, Hey, you know, uh, we did it, we, we invited all of them, but we want you to know that there's still more room. And here in this story it's kind of amazing because the master he doesn't get angry. He channels it to invite more. And then all of a sudden, he's like swept away by the fact that there are some people that are there who have never experienced great wine and wonderful food and the opportunity to really be able to experience the fullness of God. So in the midst of all of this, he he just goes crazy. And he's like, well, we've got to invite more then. And he says, I want everyone to be seen. I want everyone to be noticed. And look at what it says in verse 23. It says, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my, what's the last phrase here? Yeah, your house will be full. It started with the insiders and then, The outcast, and finally, it goes to the outsiders. It's kind of the graphic if we go to the next one. Not that one. We'll come back to that one. Uh, But anyways, this whole concept of you you go from the insiders to the outcast to the outsiders. And who were these outsiders? These outsiders were Gentiles. They were non-Jewish people. And they were invited to come. I want you to compel them. Do whatever you can to fill up my house because I want it to be full. Folks, here's the truth. That's what God desires. That's what Jesus desires. Every single person in this auditorium who is a follower of Christ, you're a servant. And if you're a follower of Christ, you have a master. And who is your master? Jesus. Jesus is your master. He's our master. We are his servants. And the invitation is for us to go out there and compel anyone and everyone to experience his love and his grace and his truth. Because we believe, if you're a follower of Christ, that the reason I'm following him is because actually my life gets better, my marriage gets better, my relationships get get better. Everything gets better when I'm connected to him. And because of that, I think there are some people around me that their life would get better too if they were connected to him. Now, why don't we do this? Uh, why don't we have people like waiting outside the door going, Uh, When do I get to come in just to listen for two minutes, you know? Why is that? Well, it's because you and I, we don't like to get rejected. Uh, When we get rejected, we get a little bit more shy and we get a little bit less risk-oriented of asking anyone. And yet the invitation from the master was, I want you to fill the house. It's for The servants to say, hey, there's still some open room. There's a couple chairs here. There's a couple tables here. There's some opportunities there for people to come. Who could we invite? Who can we bring in? Who could be transformed by the love and grace of God and their eternity would be secure and changed forever? I want to ask you uh, in the New Testament, um, for those of you who've, ever read the Bible, who do you think outside of Jesus was really, really good at this inviting thing? Anyone want to take a guess? It was a guy named Paul. Exactly. Paul was a guy who wrote close to half of the New Testament. He was amazing that way. And what he really understood was this whole graphic that I'll start with the insiders and I'll invite them. But if some of them say no, it doesn't hurt me. I'll reach out to the outcasts. And if it's not them, I'll go to the outsiders, the co-worker that no one likes, the co-worker that's the party animal, uh, my neighbor that no one ever walks by their house. Those are the people Paul says I'll be willing to reach out to. It didn't matter who you were or what you had done. Paul saw it as an opportunity to introduce you to the one who knew who knows you best and loves you most. And so uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, this is what Paul says. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. Now, just this last uh, sentence here, how many times does Paul use the word all? Just the last sentence. You can yell it out when you think you know. Three times, that's right, three times. He's like, all, all, all. He's like, all, that's what it is, all. Now, what's interesting, though, he says, I might reach out to all so that I might win how many? How many does he say? Just some. He doesn't say all. You see, even Paul was realistic. That he probably wasn't going to win all of them, but it didn't prevent him from giving an invitation to everyone, to all that he knew. And why does Paul do this? Why does he do this? Verse 23. It says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that is the good news of Jesus, that I might share in its blessings. Folks, when I read that passage, I realize Paul had something that we need. For the Jews, I become like a Jew. To the weak, I become weak. Whatever the other person is, I become that. And so the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking about when I see people, how can I actually say whatever they are, I'll become what they are in that moment because I want to reach out to them. How do I live invitationally? How do I have moments, opportunities where I'm willing to take risks to invite people and connect with them? So in the next couple of minutes, kind of rapid fire style, I just want to share with you how I've kind of learned some of this and want to give it to you. Let me give you one at the beginning. For instance, he says, to the Jew, I become a Jew. Now, folks, I want you to know, when I see this logo right here, it makes me sick. (laughs) And, uh, you know, if they're a Patriots fan, do I become a Patriots fan? And I very clearly remember saying no to God. No, I'm not going to do that. And then we're on an airplane this summer. Uh, We've gone on vacation as a family. And there's a person on the plane who's just wearing this logo. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting in my chair and I look over and I like start getting angry. There's no reason for me to be angry. That's stupid. But I started getting angry. I'm like, I bet that guy's a jerk, you know. Like all this stuff's like going through my head when all of a sudden I kind of get this prompting from the Holy Spirit. Actually, it was shaking me going, what is up with you? You're mad at a logo. You don't know this person. That person could have won the Nobel Peace Prize for all I know. You know what I mean? And there was something in me. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start having connections. I've only done it once. But uh, I saw another person who was wearing that logo. And I was like, okay, how can I relate? So I walked up to them. And uh, I just said, hey, I see a Patriots saying, yeah, yeah, you? I'm like, well, not really. But, um, you know, uh, like, do you have some favorite players? And uh, they're like, yeah. And I'm like, is it Brady or Teddy Bruschi or Gronk or someone? And, and they said Brady, you know, and just kind of went on. And, and so I've decided I'm just going to keep on asking this um, because I, I want to connect with someone. And maybe I'll have the opportunity to say, you know what, um, do you go to church? And then when they say no, I'll say, well, it's because you're with a horrible team. Uh, just choking, just choking. My point is this, folks. When we see people... Are our eyes open enough to recognize something to start a conversation with them? We went through Starbucks this week, and uh, my daughters—they love Starbucks. So does my wife, and I get so nervous. I don't even like speak into the to, to the microphone deal anymore. I just move my seat back, and they order whatever it is, and because there's so many options, you know. And and so I finally get up there, and I notice the lady has a broken finger. It's a young. Uh, girl maybe in her early 20s and all I said was hey what happened and all of a sudden she's like ah, I'm kind of embarrassed by this but I slammed my finger in the car and I broke my finger I'm like oh man I'm so sorry to hear that that's you know that really stinks and you know I'm, I'm going to pray that things get you know better for you and it was just a small little connection you know how many times I've gone through a drive through before and never noticed the person and don't act like I'm the only one because I bet you do it as well. Where are those opportunities that we can see connection for conversation? So real quick, let me just show you three invitational things that I'd like you to try uh, to live an invitational lifestyle. These four things uh, that you can do to live that. The first one is you live deeply with Jesus. The It's imperative that you live deep. You open up his word. You read it. You pray, you you say, God, I want more of you. And then as you read things, you're like, I want to live so deeply with you. If you ask me to do something, I'm going to do it. So if you ask me to invite, I'll invite. If you ask me to work on some area of my life in my character, I'm going to do it. I don't care what it is. Jesus ordered it, and so I'm going to do it. So he ordered me to invite people, and I'll do that. So if you want to be invitational, you live deeply with Jesus. The second thing is you Show up with expectancy. When you're around someone or you show up at a place, you actually show up expecting that God is actually going to do something. I show up believing that maybe God might use me to just be one step in this person's journey, but maybe my step is the one in which their eternity could change. And so you show up. And I've just decided that when I go to Walmart, I want to have my eyes open to see what does God want to do. When I go to a restaurant, when I go through a drive-thru, whatever it is, my kid's school, I want to have eyes that see. And when I'm doing this, I'm looking at a couple of different things. I know who's there. And the second thing is I know who's not there. If you ever go to a place over and over again, you pretty soon you get to know who's there and who's not there. And I want to become the kind of person who notices when there are people who are usually there, but they're not there. Uh, Sometimes when I'm on stage, I can look out and I kind of know where some of you sit. And so every once in a while, if I notice someone who hasn't been there uh, in a couple of weeks, I'll just call in a couple of weeks or Facebook text. And say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Just wondered if everything's okay. And most of the time people will say, well, we sat up in the balcony, you know, probably because you wanted to sleep. But anyways, you uh, sat up in the balcony because it's cool up there and uh, you didn't see us. And I'll be like, okay. And it's like that. But it's kind of like, where's Waldo? I will find you. Okay? Uh, I will. But but sometimes they'll say, you know what, we, we haven't been there because, man, we've had a whole lot of stuff going on in our life. And there's been some real struggle going on. And we just weren't so sure we could do that. And I'll just listen to whatever it is. Do you know what else is really powerful? When you recognize that there are some people who are usually here that you haven't seen in a while. And you'd say, you know what, I miss you. Uh, why don't you come this week? And it's one thing for the pastor to do it. Because it's almost like, well, he should do it. You know, like, like it's his job. But you know how powerful it is when you recognize some people or you haven't seen some people who've sat around in the seats that you pick up the phone or you send a text and you just simply say, hey, you know what? I've missed seeing you. I really have. I, I, I've i missed you. I hope you'll come this Sunday. I want you to know I'm praying for you. Don't give up on the church. We We need you. We need you to be a part of this. And folks, no matter if it's Outside the doors of this church or inside, do we have eyes that are looking around constantly? Who's there? Who's maybe not? And can we invite? A third way that you can live an invitational life is by relating with those around you. I talked about it a little bit with the the Patriots fan, but, but can you relate to those around you? Everyone wants to be connected to something that's bigger than themselves. Even if they can't name it to be God, they want to be connected. And so it's so powerful as Christ followers, we don't get in the habit of just going, hey, do you want to go to church? Nope. Okay, I'm done. Or, hey, you know what? You need Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that people don't need to go to church. I'm not saying that people don't need Jesus. That may be true for both of them. But one of the things that I've realized is that people need to be known. They need to be seen. They need to be loved. And so I want to be able to see and know. I want to see their hurt. I want to see their pain. I want to see the goodness. I want to recognize what they're at. And then what is the position of my life? Do they know me? Is there any way that they have even known me more than just a little bit? Or am I just the guy in the cubicle beside them? Or am I just the guy on the construction site? Or am I just the woman who works their shift? Do I have a position where I can connect with them, and then I can be guided by God's Spirit. So you live, you show up, you relate, and then finally the fourth thing is, and the most difficult, you risk. You actually step out and you take a risk. Now for me, just to be quite transparent, there are many times in which I don't want to take a a risk. I fear being rejected. I fear being made fun of. I fear being just the pastor boy, uh, and so there are sometimes that I chicken out, and I'll feel a prompting to invite someone or do something, and I just don't do it. And it's in those times, so often, when I when I'm walking away and I'm getting into my car or I'm going somewhere else, that I'll just have this prompting, which is our big idea this morning, is that. Rescued people, rescue people. And I'll get this sense. Chris, you've been rescued by, remember how messed up your life was? And I rescued you. Why would you not take the risk to rescue someone else? So over the past couple of years, I've had one place where I probably have risked the most. It's at the Subway restaurant downtown here in Muncie. I typically go there two times a week, and uh, I'll get my sandwich, and uh, while I've been able to do this, I've met tons of the employees, and uh, I've built a relationship kind of in that particular uh, subway. Uh, There are customers there that uh, I bought the lunch for them uh, before who are in uh, the row with me. There are customers who've gone through hard times, and they needed a ride to their house from Subway, and I've actually literally taken them to their house before. Um, there are, there's one employee that uh, said, "Can you marry me?" And I said, "No, I'm already married." You know, um, actually, they wanted me to officiate, so I helped this employee uh, with the wedding. And to do that, uh, I prayed with people inside that location multiple times. In fact, sometimes I'll walk in, and the manager Melissa. If someone's going through a hard time, they'll be like, hey, she needs you. Like somehow my prayer does something different than someone else, but uh, I'll pray. And Melissa and I built this great relationship together. She's one of the most hardest working women that I know. She works long hours. And regularly I'll invite her to church and she goes, you know I work on Sundays. I go, yeah, I know. And so I just keep inviting. And then Christmas Eve came and I said, it's not on Sunday." And so I walked in and she was there with her husband. And now her husband has just gone through two losses and he wants to be a part of our grief ministry that's been going on. And there's been this relationship that's been built. And one thing at Subway, there's often a lot of employee turnover. So I've gotten to meet a lot of people and invited them to come. And whenever I walk in, Melissa will often say this. Hey, that's the pastor at the jar. You need to go there. And she's like been one of our greatest inviters. And she'll be like, yeah, you need to go. It's not a judgmental church like a lot of them. I mean, it's cool. You can have fun there. And every time she says this, first of all, I get really embarrassed because I'm like, ah, calm down, Melissa. But the second thing I think of is I think of you guys. And do you know why she's so excited about this place? Because of you and the way you accept people, the way you love people the way you care for whoever it is. Recently, I've been reaching out to uh, one of the employees named Brandy, and uh, she uh, was lived in Boston on the East Coast, and she had um, a boyfriend, and she had two kids, and the boyfriend left, and her life just kind of got chaotic and uh, just fell on some really hard times. And so uh, she moved here to Muncie because of some family that she knew, and she started working at Subway, and she was a sandwich—what uh, they call that Artist. Thank you. She was a sandwich artist at the very beginning, and then she kind of worked her way up to sh- uh, shift supervisor, and then now she's an assistant manager. And I've got to know her pretty well because, like I said, I go in there a lot, and we talk about uh, religion and we talk about God. And I'll never forget one day we were talking about church and. She goes, oh, I used to always like church. It was always a fun thing. You know, it gave me some energy. But she said, I went to a church one time. And because I lived with my boyfriend and our two kids were out of wedlock, they told me that I wasn't welcome to come back. And so she said, I've kind of given up on the church thing. And so this last week, I got some candy together. And I said, you know what, even though... It seems bleak. I'm going to invite Brandy. And so I went and I invited her, invited Melissa. And I'm praying expectantly that Brandy will come with her two kids and her son, or her boyfriend and her son, and that they will come and they'll experience who God is. Folks, if you're a follower of Christ, you have been rescued to rescue other people. God wants to use all of us to go and to risk, and to take chances because people matter to him. More than anything else, God wants us to know that people matter to him. And the greatest gift that you and I can give to another human being is that we give them the gift of an introduction to the God who is head over hills in love with them. So here's how we're going to close today. When you walked in today in your program, uh, you should have received a little post-it note that looks like this. If you didn't, just raise your hand, and we have uh, one of our hospitality people up in the balcony can get this for you, or down here also, just raise your hand. But I'd like you to pull this out for a second. And last week, you might remember, uh, we used a similar exercise. And what I'd simply like you to do is I would like to have you write down anyone who's an insider or an outcast or an outsider that you could invite next Sunday. Uh, Whoever it is. uh, For me, like I said, it was some folks from Subway and then I have some other folks that I'm inviting. My my post-it note from the first celebration, it's out there. But. I'd like you to think about somebody who might be an insider, a, a friend, a family member, someone you know really well. And I'd like you to write just their first name down. Maybe it's someone who's an outcast. It's one of those coworkers that many people have kind of, you know, maybe given up on or they're kind of wild or, you know, they're a little crazy and I don't know. Or maybe it's truly an outsider. Someone that you go to a restaurant and you can just tell they've, they've had a hard life and people have given up on them I don't know who the people are for you but would you take a moment and just write down their name on this post-it note and what we're going to do here in just a second I'm going to give you a moment to write down the names and then when we're done you'll walk through the door and on the left hand side you'll see all the post-it notes from the first celebration and what I'd simply like you to do is to take this and to place your names on there as well And this week as a staff, we're going to pray for every single name. So as you're inviting them, you're not doing it on your own. You're doing it through a lot of power through prayer and God who desires you to do that. So I'd like to just give you a moment right now for you to write down a name or names who you could invite for next week. And I'll close this in prayer. So take a couple minutes right now. So if you would, I'd like you to stand for closing prayer. So if you could all stand. Now, like I said, as a staff, we're going to pray for every single name that's on that wall. And if you would right now, that's why we put the lights down so no one has to see. But if you would, I'd like you to just kind of hold up your post-it note because these people matter to you more importantly they matter to God and we'll close in prayer let's pray God this isn't just a post-it note this is names of people who we're praying and believing God that with a small invitation their life could potentially be changed for eternity there are family members or friends or co-workers maybe a neighbor Maybe someone who we have kind of given up on. A wayward child. A relative that we've struggled to kind of recognize. And so, God, we just lift them up to you right now. And we want to be the type of people who know we've been rescued so that we can rescue other people through your power. Give us the courage this week, God, to invite people next Sunday. And God, I pray that there would be powerful moments, only God moments, for each person here. That as they invited, they could see you move in that. And God, we pray for the people that we're praying for, that we're inviting, that you would soften their hearts and that you would fill your house next Sunday. Help each person here, God to know of your goodness and may people come next week, the people that they invite, that they sit with, that their life would be changed. Please, God, use us and we will give you the honor and glory for what you're going to do, believing, expectantly you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, everybody, thanks so much. Have a great week. Know you're loved in this place.